Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. And I'll say Merry Christmas because I haven't memorized that other phrase that Pastor Steve memorized. Happy, whatever it is. Instilled Kwanzaa in there and and so on and so forth. Everything instilled in there. Just Hanukkah. And this is Christmas. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, isn't it? I would prefer that Christmas traditionally be 80 degrees perfect golf weather. That is my idea of perfect Christmas weather. And for those of you who think otherwise, I understand that there's people leaving Chicago and other places. There, there may be room for you now. You can enjoy the cold and the blowing snow. So, anyway, we're talking about three gifts. And how many of you are wondering, what, what's the second gift? Well, you're about to find out. We're, we're catching on a, a theme. There's something that we're going to repeat. Yes, each of these intros are going to be identical. The idea of giving is because of a gospel fact. Good news fact. Giving's involved. Get, get with it. Get in it. Receive it. The Father gave His Son... And those who receive are called to give. We get involved in a receiving, giving, reciprocity. How's that for a fancy word? Reciprocity, giving and receiving. We're also expected to bring forth fruit, a harvest, or evidence of the kingdom of heaven in our life. And when we do that, what is that? That is fruit in our life, but it is a gift to the Lord and to the world. This is how we give to God. Sometimes we sit there, we get stuck. Have you ever been in the Christmas mode thinking, here somebody has everything. What do I do to give a gift to them? Well, on the level of God, God who has created everything, and by him and all things have been created and they continue to exist, upheld by his word, how do we give to him? That's Well, that's a, that's a question, isn't it? And we can get the answer here. What what we become and how we live becomes our gift to God because he gives us his grace and then it is filtered and released through who we are and we're unique. Some people we call snowflakes, right? But how about if we adjust that just a little bit? We're as unique as each snowflake is unique. There's only one you that's ever going to be because God's creative spectacular difference that he makes. We have, all of us are the same, interchangeable in some degree, but we're irreplaceable. There's only one me, only one you. Some of you are saying, well, I'm glad there's some, only one of some people. We couldn't handle much more than that. But when this filters through our life, something is created, something is reflected, something happens in the physical world amongst people that otherwise would not happen. The grace of God is reflected in a unique way through you and through me. And this becomes our life as a gift to God. And the question then becomes, how can we combine all of this and live in such a way as to be constantly a giver? Jesus said it's more blessed to give 
than to receive. Amazing thing that happens when we get engaged in the giving, the Lord will make sure there's receiving. He's got your back. Even if no one else will re, re, will engage themselves in that reciprocity, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And he loves to give, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, I've, I've got a picture I want to show you that really captures this image. I'm sure you've seen that before. The next gift we're going to talk about, the first one was love. The next one is joy. And so I thought I would show you the opposite. There's some things that we only get when we figure out what it's not. And that's a clear picture of what joy isn't. These three kids are not enjoying themselves. And they are not the image of joy. But I want to talk to you today about joy. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit. Everybody say spirit. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She talks about a little more outer part of herself, her soul, her mind, her will, and her emotions. But what serves as the trigger? What is the what gets behind that and produces the energy? She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This joy comes from out of this world. It's an exceeding and abundant joy. It's a joy that is imparted to our heart. It's something which is mysterious. It's mystical. It's impossible to see in its transfer because it's coming from the unseen realm, which, by the way, is more real than the realm we're in. We're in the physical realm, and we tend to think this is what is real. But the Bible goes to great lengths to reveal to us that that's not the whole picture, that there is a God we cannot see who has made all the things that we see. There is this God who is ministering to us, and there are things surfacing in our lives, surfacing in our, the, our existence that other people can then begin to see and understand because it's from out of this world. Jesus came from out of this world. He came into this world. He came from the higher realm, from the unseen realm, into the realm of glory and God's presence, into this lower place, this place, this physical existence. We even use those terms, high, glory in the highest, and on earth, peace upon those his favor dwells. So this joy is out of this world, and it's not natural. So get ready. If it's not natural, that means it's supernatural. It comes from above the natural, and we have a resource. If we're not careful, though, we forget to look up. We forget to look to our resource. And we start looking within ourselves. And even worse, we look in other people. What can happen? A train wreck of disaster and despair of epic proportions can happen when we do that. But when we look and we hear what Mary said, 
My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why is she rejoicing? Because she has realized this revelation. God is the one who gets me out of difficulty. God is the one who can get me out of the despair. God is the one who can pull me out of the ditch. He is the one who can lift me, like David said, out of the miry clay. He is the one who is unaffected and unmoved by everything that's affecting my life. And so he can, by his outstretched arm, reach into my situation by the movement of his finger, can change that circumstance, and he can remove me. He can pull me out. He can walk me out. He can give me victory. He can give me a triumph. He can cause me to have strength instead of weakness. Hope instead of despair. Light instead of darkness. Because he is the unmoved mover. He is the undiminished light. He is the one who can work in my situation. Mary got a hold of that. Though she is sitting amidst a people that is under the iron hand of Rome, trying to survive till their last meal, and feeling utterly downtrodden, and frankly feeling like every promise of Isaiah, every promise of Jeremiah, every promise of King David in the Psalms were sitting there shattered and broken on the political landscape. And there wasn't any answer of hope anywhere on the planet And in the midst of that, she intersects with an angel who gives her news that a Savior is going to be born. Emmanuel, God with us. And something happens in Mary, and it spills out of her in what's called the Magnificat of Mary, when she praises and magnifies the Lord. Instead of diminishing the things of God and forgetting the things of God, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, the world shows us some hints of joy. There's certain artwork. There's certain scenarios, certain music, certain settings that we get in. And you know what happens? We can feel some cheer. We can feel some emotional lift. We can get around certain people. Have you noticed that? Some people are like lightning rods of joy. And you can get around them, and you feel like you've been just lifted up. You've been pulled up. Something has happened, and so we get these hints in our physical world. We get these hints from people, but when it comes right down to it, only God can give us the goods. Those are all hints. Just as we have hints of love in our family and our relationship with other people, we can have hints of joy, but it's not quite there. Because it's not the supernatural. It's not the divine joy that God has seen that we can all receive. Aren't you glad for that joy? That's why we sing songs like, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. I have another big idea to share with you. It reads this way. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil 
of joy. Who's this speaking of? Speaking of Jesus himself. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So you have been utterly sold out to right standing before God and what results from that. And you have set yourself against wickedness. Now, what is wickedness? This is a good way to think of this. How many of you have ever heard of a candle wick? When something is wicked or wicked, what happens? It's twisted together with other materials. And so when something is wicked, it can be 98% truth with 2% of a lie woven through it. Something else is included that shouldn't be there. It's kind of like making a cookie recipe, chocolate chip cookies, but accidentally getting some sand and dirt in it. Now, how many of you would would be willing to dunk the cookie in some milk, maybe liberate it from sand, and still enjoy the cookie? But some of us would say, it's not worth it. It's got some dirt and sand in it. That's not supposed to be in it. But it's a 99% of chocolate chip cookie. No, thank you. There's a 1% that isn't. And that 1% is the deal breaker. Amen? That's a deal breaker. And so Jesus is pictured here in the book of Hebrews. He loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Why did he oppose the Pharisees so strongly? Because they wove in their traditions with the law of God and made the law of God of no effect. Their wickedness ruined the whole thing. And so he stood strong in right standing with Father and loving that, but hating this twisting together, this perversion. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. How many of you like the idea of the oil of joy? Now, let me tell you what happens when you think of the term anointing in Scripture. How many of you have ever spritzed on some cologne and then had it quit working a couple hours later? Now, hint. This is a hint for your gift buying for Christmas. If you buy the cheap knockoff perfumes and colognes, they don't last. You better take that bottle with you. You're going to need it again in an hour. But one of the markings of expensive perfume is this. Number one, almost sounds like the Flintstones. Just a little dabble, do you? Okay. Secondly, it will last all day long. Well, what happened when somebody was anointed? They were rubbed all over with a cream, with an oil, which caused their hair to shine, their face to shine, their arms to shine, their whole body to shine, and they smelled like that oil or cream all day long. So he was anointed with joy. How many of you have ever had fits of joy? How many of you have ever had joy for like 10 minutes? If we're not careful, we look very much like that little child in the, the swing that there was a McDonald's commercial of this little child. And as he swings back, he goes, and then forward. And what was happening? As he was getting to a certain height, 
He could see over the fence and could see the McDonald's golden arches. Some of you are saying, Pastor, find something else. Longhorn Steakhouse. Shopping mall. NFL football. Whatever. Golf course. That's me. I always feel joy. I always feel a mixture of sadness and joy. I'm driving by. I can't stop and play. I'm on my way to somewhere else. But Jesus, it says, was anointed with the oil of joy. What does that mean? He carried joy and its aroma with him everywhere he went. He permeated the room. But let me tell you something. It has a high price tag. To get to joy, you have to pay the price. And what's that price? Love righteousness, hate wickedness. Jesus operated every day loving the Father and His right standing before Him and hating mixture and compromise and making sure that He didn't get tangled up in anything that would compromise His love for the Father. That's a great deal. How many of you like to walk in joy? You're going to have to be anointed with joy. And to be anointed with joy needs to be saturated, soaked and covered so that it just oozes from your pores and you can smell you coming a mile away. And people are happy to smell you coming. There's about to be some joy in the room. There's about to be a lift. There's about to be something happen because of the spirit of joy. Third thing, Mark chapter 4, verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. This joy is the first best response to any word from God. How should you respond when you hear a testimony? Joy. Doesn't he tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn? And so when somebody says, you'll never guess what the Lord has done for me this week. You'll never hurt believe what I heard about somebody that we've been praying for, if we're not careful, we've just kind of set the stage. And when we tell people the good news of what Jesus has done in our life, what he's done in somebody's life, the first response by some people, don't be surprised, is a grimace. Are you sure you heard that right? Oh, I've heard about that before. I've heard people just have a spontaneous nervous reaction and something happened. And you'll, you'll get Debbie Downers. How many of you know? And for those of you that are wondering about the male conversion, Dougie Downer. You'll get somebody who will rain on your parade, but I want to bring us back to this. The best response to any word from God written in scripture, a testimony declaring his praises and what he has done, the very first best thing to do is to have joy. Receive it with joy. Number three. Did I say number two? Already said number two, right? Number three? Here we go. Joy is the first step towards the potential transformation of a person. Think about that. Have you ever seen positive transformation in people over very negative thoughts? No. What happens? They're wounded. 
They're tormented. They're brought into despair. I mean, you can get them to do certain things and manipulate them, but it doesn't do anything positive for them. But joy is the first step towards the potential transformation of a person. Now, the sadness in this story about the soils is this person is on soil. It says he receives it at first with joy, but because of other things, it dies. So what do we want to do? We want to receive that word with joy and then continue in that word with joy. Now, by the way, what does the enemy want to steal from you? Your joy. Something that should not exist is the joyless Christian. Hello? But what becomes a bad witness to the world? When they encounter a believer who claims to have heard the good news and has this relationship with the creator of the universe, this is their claim. And yet they don't live as if that's so. They don't live with a sense of joy. They don't live with a sense of positivity. They don't live in that vein because they're not allowing it to transform them. Maybe it's just good news for somebody else, but what happens when they receive it into themselves as good news for them? Now we're talking about transformation. And by the way, have you noticed we need some transformation? The world needs some transformation. And the people of the world need transformation. The people in the church start the transformation. It's with us as we become gifts of joy before the Lord. Some of us would say, well, that's going to really take an act of God. And the answer to that is, yes, it won't be done, except that it is an act of God, and it won't happen except you receive it and you continue in joy. Moving on to Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Everybody say fervor. Fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor. The image I get when I think of fervor is a a kettle with the lid kind of dancing on it because of the steam that's rising up because of the boiling water. It's something about energy, fervency. The book of James says the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. It's talking about energy. It's talking about something that's symbolizing life that's going on below the surface. And he cautions the Roman church, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then he goes on to say this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Well, there's a whole sermon in there, Brother Steve. So at this point, you can kind of disconnect from what I'm saying, and you can craft that sermon three points, right? Your next assignment. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This joy is the vital spark that is constantly needed to keep us spiritually effervescent. How many of you like effervescence? You know, around the holiday, we've discovered this. 
they make a lot of juices, just juices that are effervescing because they've been sparkling. We call it sparkling water, right? But there's some juices that have come out, and we've discovered as a family that we really like to have those at the holiday table. But then we found a pallet of them at Walmart. So now we have like six or seven bottles in the cabinet, and we just keep one cold all the time because there's just something refreshing about an effervescent sip of that carbonated juice. It's just something. It pops. It zings. It bubbles. Isn't that interesting that psychologically around a time of celebration, we want something that effervesces? I wonder if there's a story there. I wonder if there's a story of joy. I wonder if there's something down deep in our spirit that longs for that. The enemy knows that, and he sidetracks us to other bubbly things. But I'm here to tell you, as the Scripture says, be not drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Many times as believers, we get the other part, and we forget it. Because we're talking about a joy that can be completed and filled and never go away rather than a momentary relief sense of joy or positivity that is destined to quickly move away and require more of the substance to attain it next time. Aren't you glad we have this eternal, powerful presence of God that can move through us and bring us to what? A fervency. This joy is a vital spark that is constantly needed to keep us spiritually effervescent. What does he say? He begins it with this, joyful in hope. What's the difference between hope and dread? Think about that. In its basic sense, hope is typically a positive looking towards the future. What's dread? A negative looking forward to the future. Some people say they hope, but really what they mean to say is dread. But you don't go around winning friends by saying, well, I've just been dreading this for a long time. Right? Sometimes we blunt it. I was hoping that wouldn't happen. Right? But look at this. Joyful in hope. Hope is looking towards the future with a positive sense, unsure of what's going to happen. But what do you need to combine with that? Joy. The effervescence of the Spirit that says, with God, all things are possible. With God, this thing can change no matter how dark, no matter how prone to despair we might be in this situation. There is the need for joy, that vital spark. It makes us joyful in hope, patient in affliction. How many of you know affliction will wear you down? So you need to endure. How do you endure? Joy comes over and helps you be patient in affliction, and it helps you to become faithful in prayer. It becomes the effervescence. It becomes the spark of life that works in you. And then what will happen? You'll be effective in a positive way. Amen? Moving on. Number five. John 15, verses 10 through 11 says this. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Remember last week we talked about the love of God? This marvelous Amazing, majestic, eternal, powerful, agape love of God. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete. Now, isn't defective joy better than none at all? Isn't happenstantial, whimsical, we never know when it's coming and going, joy better than none at all? Yeah, it's better than none at all. But how about a dependable, eternal, continuous joy? A steadfast joy. That's the kind of joy Jesus carried because Jesus was anointed with joy. Jesus didn't go in and out of the mood of joy. He walked in joy. He carried the joy. He shone with joy. He smelled like joy, not dish liquid, but joy. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. One of our problems is we don't realize that joy needs to be completed. We'll take the happenstantial momentary moment of joy and not think, hey, you know what? This can be built on. This can be expanded. This can be allowed into other areas of my life. This can show up on my countenance and in my dealings on a continuous basis. You know what the religious spirit will tell you? Just do that joy thing for an hour on Sunday. And that's all you need to do. Sadly, there are people who have done that possibly in this room this morning, but all over the United States, people who are believers who have said, I'll go to church and I'll put on some joy for an hour. I think I can do that. But boy, it'll exhaust me. And we've missed, we've missed the boat. It's not about putting on a charade for other people to believe that you're happy. No, everybody's playing that game. But it's tapping in to the eternal presence of God, allowing Him room in our life so that we not only experience His joy supernaturally, but that it becomes full and that it becomes complete in us. And we carry that. What a challenge. Love is a decision. Hello? We've been hearing music that tells us it's a feeling. Hooked on a feeling, right? Love is a decision, but it makes way for something. It makes way for joy. And that joy results in fullness and fulfillment. Wow. It's more than just love, isn't it? This is where it begins, but it moves through joy. People need to experience that joy that floods right in where love is. By the way, do you know it's impossible to really love somebody and not share some joy with them? If you really love them, what happens when you're around them? You enjoy them. If somebody says they love somebody but they don't enjoy them, there's a problem. Something needs some work here. Something needs some grace of God. Something needs some prayer. Something needs some contemplation in the presence of the Spirit. We go on to number six. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Isn't that a great promise? And then he goes on to say this. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Is that awesome or what? That's, that's a big deal. What is like the the greatest miracle when an individual is reconnected to God? When the sinner becomes the saint? 
when the, the one who has gone away returns and when forgiveness is mantled upon them. Joyful expression. Oh, one other scripture. So let me back up I, before I almost ran out of the scripture. The disciples were pumped. They were excited. When Jesus returns, what is their report? Demons are subject to us. That was a big deal. Something which caused such great fear in all the villages of Galilee. And these disciples are confronting demon power and casting it out. And don't you know they're going slapping each other's back saying, Wow, did you see that? Look what happened to the forces of the enemy. They were completely defeated. And they are excited and pumped up. But what does Jesus know? Some of this can be coming out of pride. They're missing the point. The missing the point is, if the enemy knows your name is written in the book, he has to respond to your authority. And he has to leave. Isn't that what he teaches? Isn't that what the Word of God teaches us? And so he says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Because God has your name written down. You're on the roll. Amen? How many of you have expected to be on the roll, walked up and were disappointed because your name wasn't on the roll? You stood in line at the DMV knowing you put your name on the roll. And then you wonder why it's taken so long. But your name somehow didn't get on the roll. And you have to wait longer. We're all disappointed when that's what matters. Is that my name is written down. Your name is written down. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is on the roll. Luke 19 verse 37. Continuing with this idea of rejoicing before we finish this big idea number six up. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Joyful expression is a perfect response to a breakthrough of grace. How do you respond to grace? With joy. How do you respond to the Word of God? With joy. And when something happens, when the promise is fulfilled, when it comes to a miracle, what needs to be our response? Woohoo! It needs to be the clapping of hands. It needs to be the lifting of the voice. It needs to be saying, praise God. God has answered prayer. But here's where we often find ourselves tangled up and we lose our joy. Because we don't know what to do when someone who's prayed for is healed and others who are prayed for are not. And so we let that mute our voices and we say, I dare not rejoice in this one who has received a miracle because there are eight others who are scratching their head wondering why they've not received theirs yet or haven't received it at all. How many of you ever feel that feeling? I do. It's a nervousness that gets down in our spirit that says, hey, this person that had stage four cancer was sent home to die in hospice. Somebody went and prayed for them and they are now perfectly healthy. Here's all the doctor's reports. And woo, praise God. But if we're not careful, something in our spirit, something in our mind says, but what about those four others 
that we prayed for, and it ended in death. What do we do with that? How do we answer that? This is going to feel uncomfortable, but it's something we need to do by faith. We need to praise loud and rejoice and be grateful for the explosion of grace whenever it happens, wherever it happens, with whomever it happens, even if we think they don't deserve it and haven't prayed enough. And we need to put our hands together and we need to rejoice and we need to release that joy before the Lord and say, you are faithful, your word has become manifest and your promise has been fulfilled and we will praise you. Why don't you put your hands together and praise him now? And that'll help me to finish this final point. Hebrews 12, 2. We picked it up in Hebrews 1 and saw the joy that Jesus was anointed with. But now Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of what? Faith. For the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? I think it's twofold. One, pleasing the Father brought him joy because the love of the Father was number one to him. But what is the cherry on top? You and I, because of the cross, have a chance of salvation. You and I, because of his sacrifice, could come by faith, though we couldn't perform according to God's righteous standard, we could come by faith except Him standing in our place and receive all of the benefits, all of the benefits of being a son or daughter of God. And what did Jesus do down in His spirit? He rejoiced. All the way to the whipping. All the way to the spitting and the punching. All the way to the cross. He, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And in joy said, there, that will take care of that. Joy is vital to carry us properly through testing and trouble. We need to have joy in the journey. We need to have joy in the difficulty Joy in the opposition. Joy in the times of doubt and wondering what in the world is going on because it is the taste of victory. It is the sample of the victory that's to come. And we can say, I know what that's like to overcome. I know what that feeling is. I know how that works in my spirit. And so in the midst of the trial, the temptation, the difficulty, when we feel hopeless, all of those things, we double down on joy and it carries us through to the victory. So as Tasha comes and the musicians come, here's what we can focus on as we worship. In what way do you need to receive this gift today? Let's be honest. Do you need joy to be refreshed? How many of you need a joy refreshing? You don't have to throw a hand up. You don't have to yell, oh, me. But this is a moment right here when we can get into the presence of the Lord who is here with us. He's promised he'd be with us. And we can notch it forward with joy. And here's the follow-up question. 
in what way do you need to be infectious with this gift? Well, that, that'll get some of us stirred. Wow, Lord, I need to advertise your joy more. It needs to show up on my face more. I need to smell like joy. I need to look like joy. I need to act like joy. And so, Lord, I'm going to ask that you'd stir this up in me and let it overflow so that it can touch other people's lives because the joy of the Lord's our strength. The joy of the Lord can be given away into people's lives. It can be experienced by them by proxy, by being near us, and they can know and taste and see that the Lord is good because of this gift of joy. Amen. Honey, as you come. We could have everybody stand. As you raise your hands to the heaven, just think of these as antenna. How many of you could just throw up some joy antennas and say in this season, especially, this is a time when people deal with the loss of joy. Isn't that ironic? Right in the midst of tidings of great joy, which will be of great joy to all people. There's a Savior born unto you. Someone who can bail you out, lift you out, lift you up, transform you, change you. He's in the transformation business. So, Lord, we raise our hands towards heaven. And, Lord, we're looking for some joy. It has to come from you and supernaturally, Lord. We've tried other things, looked other places. We're just not finding that. The places we even normally find it, we're not finding it. So we come to you. You are the great giver, the imparter of joy. You anoint us with joy. You fill us with joy. You cause us to rejoice again. Because of tidings of great joy, which is great news for all people. Lord, we're asking for a supernatural touch of joy upon us. And let us go take that joy to others. In Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen. I thought I could get through without coughing. But I didn't. Lord, bless you as you go. And go with that gift of joy. Receiving it and giving it. In Jesus' name, have a great day.